And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello everybody, Alan Melchior here. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Friday, September 29th. I am here with Eno Saris for the final Friday Rates and Barrels of 2023. Where where does the time go, Eno? <laughs> <laughs> we'll or, be answering that question or uh, no, it's a long won't. season <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh you know the the news is not as uh you know splashy as it is normally uh but uh, we do have a, a few news items we'll even talk about a few potential streamers for the weekend uh the final weekend and uh mostly just look back on 2023 which was a very very interesting season um for all kinds of reasons that we will get to. So uh, let's let's get to it, Eno. And uh, actually, let's start with uh, something that you and, and Britt Jurley talked about a little bit on the 3-0 show. And I don't know that we need to go in depth, but Ronald Acuna becoming Major League Baseball's first 40-70 player after becoming the first 40-60 player. You got to do one before the other, of course. But I mean, not only is it just a monumental achievement, but I did want to lead off with this. Because I think his season, in a way, is reflective of what made 2023 so interesting. I mean, steals were way, way up this year. Um, but power was up a little bit, too. Maybe not in terms of power output, but I was actually surprised to find, you know, that uh, as of right now, as we're talking here, uh, actually on Thursday, that the average exit velocity on flies and liners for the entirety of Major League Baseball, 93.1 miles an hour, is the highest since the, the beginning of the stat cast era. Not by a lot. But it is it is the highest. So well, the ball did change a little bit again, uh, and was not quite 2019. So if you're looking at that number, is 2019 the highest? Uh, I get for okay for this particular stat, it's actually higher than 2019. Oh, interesting. Uh, drag has some uh, thing to do with this. Bounciness has is more what we're talking about here, and bounciness should be more similar year to year. Drag is the seam height. Bounciness is the core of the ball, mm. but they made the core of the ball less bouncy two years ago, and so it shouldn't be the bounciest ball of the Statcast era. So it is interesting that it's number one. Yeah, and again, by by a slim margin, I think 2019 was second, and I think it's like a one-tenth of a mile an hour difference between the two, but I would have expected to be like half, you know, half a, a mile per hour slower or something uh, than 2019. Uh, but if you go and you look at actual power production, if you look at ISO, if you look at home run to fly ball ratio, those things are well beyond or well behind the 2019 pace. So I'm not sure what, if anything, to make of it. But anyways, just coming back to Ronald Cunha Jr., um, he he took advantage of the uh, the new rules uh, to an even greater extent you know than I ever it, could have imagined. You know what it may have something to do with is the fact that it may actually be a uh, an artifact of the shift rule changes in a weird way, um, because 
if you think about it, uh, pulled ground balls um, are a symptom of an approach that is attempting to pull fly balls. And pulled ground balls for a long time had been losing value as people had been shifting and shifting and shifting and shifting more. If you reduce the amount of shifting you can do and increase the value of a pulled ground ball, you increase the value of a all or nothing kind of get the ball out in front approach. And so uh, maybe there'd been some hitters that had been trying to, you know, spank some little dribblers the other way that were like, hey, why am I doing that anymore? You know, the shift rules have changed. So I don't know if it would happen like that in one year, but it's possible that just a few people doing that changed the numbers just enough. We're talking about small differences, like you said. So, yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to the, the rule changes more in depth because there were some very interesting things, but the, the increase in steals was really, really dramatic, more so than I would have even guessed six months ago. But let's let's get to a few news items before we dig into the kind of bigger picture of, of 2023. Uh, Gemma Candelario was activated on Wednesday and started against the Braves on Wednesday night, went 0 for 3 with a walk. And so now that just extends a slump that Candelario had before going on the IL with a back injury. He is now five for his last 55. That's an 091 average, but three of the five hits were home runs. Uh, so I, what do you think about Candelario? If you've been you know, waiting for him to come back and you're in a league where it's either you know daily lineups or twice a week lineup changes and you can get Candelario back in your lineup, what do you do? Get him back in there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. They're they're gonna feel their best lineups. I don't know that they'll they'll screw around with too much with wisdom at uh, at third when they could play him at first or DH or something, you know. So um, I think Candelario gives them their best chance, and they're going to uh, go with him as much as possible. So the matchups for the Cubs don't look good on paper, but this will be a reoccurring theme. You do not know which starters the Brewers are going to put out there this weekend. The Brewers are looking to line up for possibly the Cubs again. And so I don't know that they're going to put out Burns and Woodruff and Peralta against the Cubs this weekend in case they see the Cubs again on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever. So, um, you know, I, I think you just say, who are my best players at this point? Who's most likely if it's, if you have to choose on Friday, if you choose daily, then you just have to kind of stand over that thing and, <laughs> and, and wait for the lineups to come out, I guess. Yeah. So if you're in a daily lineup league, that is, that is the MO for the next, uh, the next few days here. Uh, so, well, you know, while we're on the topic and, and talk about Candelario and what you can do, if you actually have a decision to make with him. You and I had a little discussion before starting to record here about whether it makes sense to try to stream one last time. Again, if you're in a league format that allows for that uh, after the the you know initial start of the week. So, and if you're in, you're in because at this point, you're not going to change your ERA too much. Right, right. So, who who do you have for uh, a potential streamer this weekend? Uh, I've got two, uh, one old and one new. Uh, the old guy that I like is Quintana. I think they're just going to start him. Uh, he's at home against the Phillies, and I have no idea what sort of lineup the Phillies will put out there. It may be uh, the defense first one. They may sit a Harper, sit a Schwarber, you know, sit a big bat. Plus, it's a nice park factor uh, in New York there for the Mets. 
And the other one, same day though, uh, Saturday, it depends on your need for Ks, your, your sense for risk. But uh, Connor Phillips is going against the Cardinals. And Chris Clegg uh, tweeted this today. He's at Roto Clegg. Uh, MLB Stuff Plus leaders in September, minimum 20 innings pitched. Corbin Burns, number one. Kyle Bradish, number two. Connor Phillips, number three. So uh, it obviously comes with really bottom shelf command. But uh, I don't know. Against a Cardinals team that's just playing out the string, Arenado's on the shelf. Um, I think that's a pretty good matchup. Yeah, no, I agree. And I just did a sort, you know, to check myself before I talk about a pitcher or two uh, that I'd, I'd be interested in. And I, I've been just pretty much for the month of September, I've just been all about picking on the Angels. And so there's <laughs> one particular matchup I really like against them this weekend. So I just wanted to check myself and say, OK, are the Angels still kind of bottom feeding in terms of WOBA for the month of September? And yes, they are. Uh, they are 29th out of 30 at 286. But the White Sox are. Uh, at the very bottom, so the Padres uh, going against them. I'm looking at fan graphs here. They're showing Nick Martinez on Friday, so he would definitely be available. Uh, so I think that's kind of a, a, an interesting possibility there. But going back to the Angels, very interesting matchup on Friday. Ken Waldachuk and Chase Silseth, and both of them would definitely be available uh, or highly likely to be available in your 12-team leagues. I kind of like them both, but I feel a little better about Waldachuk. And I pulled up some splits for him. And in the second half, he is allowed a 303 Woba, which is outstanding, uh, 380 ERA. Um, so he's, he's pitched very well for an extended period of time. And I love the matchup. Yeah, he's been featuring his changeup more, um, you know, as the season has gone along. And uh, a slight tick in uh, in velo that uh, came from some outings in the bullpen. Uh, I don't know exactly where his velo will be. The only thing that makes me nervous about that matchup is not the Angels themselves, but it's their stadium, uh, which has been playing a little bit more hitter friendly. So there's, uh, but if you want to pick on the Angels, it's not a it's not a bad way to end the season with J.P. Sears going on Saturday or on Sunday, and uh, Joe Boyle going in between. Joe Boyle is another Connor Phillips-type, super, super high stuff, uh, low command. But the command hasn't been playing as bad as I expected in the big leagues. I I, I, I bet that uh, and I couldn't get anybody with the, uh, with the team or the player to uh, tell me anything about it, but I bet that... Um, Joe Boyle has simplified the approach somehow and uh, maybe is targeting areas where the misses aren't so bad because, uh, you know, he's only walked 8% of the guys he's seen so far. I've seen him in person. It's uh, standout stuff. So, uh, you know, again, depends on your sense of risk and the fact that he may not get you a win. He went three in the first, six for a win in the second. Uh, But that's the Padres and the Tigers so Joe Boyle, put him just below Connor Phillips on the high risk, possibly high reward list. All right. Well, few intriguing names uh, to possibly add uh, over uh, over the weekend. And uh, let's uh, take a look at some names uh, to, well, in some cases, maybe subtract. 
Uh, Matt McLean, you won't subtract him because he's been out for several weeks, but he was supposed to come back this weekend and re-injured his oblique. So his regular season and actually his season probably uh, entirely, if the Reds somehow do make it into the wild card uh, picture, uh, his season appears to be done. He finishes with a six nine, or I'm sorry, not a six ninety batting average. That would be historic. A two ninety batting average, sixteen home runs, sixty five runs, fifty RBIs, and fourteen steals and four hundred three plate appearances. And even though he missed the latter part of the season with this oblique injury and missed the first quarter of the season because he was still in the minor leagues. He finished 16th among shortstops in roto value, uh, five by five roto value, according to fan graphs. Uh, so pretty remarkable season for, for Matt McLean. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how much, um, you know, I keep thinking back to your piece about McLean versus steer and, uh, their approaches at the plate and, you know, there's not, it, it's not a profile that makes me, um, uh, that, you know, I kind of like Steer's profile better. You know, Steer, like, as you pointed out in your piece, uh, pulls fly balls more, um, you know, when he's going for power. Um, otherwise he has a really good two strike approach, strikes out, uh, less than McLean, uh, walks more, not as good defensively, uh, which matters, but uh, when you look at this 385 batting average on balls in play for Matt McClain, you know that there's a risk that he comes back to earth when it comes to batting average. Um, and he's not necessarily a standout in the power or stolen base department. So what if he comes back for a sophomore year, Matt McClain, that's it's 240 with 18 homers and 12 steals or something. I mean, mm-hmm. I, that wouldn't be bad, but it might be less than people paid for. Uh, and then there's this like sort of tertiary risk that I don't know. It's like a big deal. And, you know, I, you know, shouldn't really think too hard about potential trades, but it does seem like the Reds may be active in trying to trade a possible bat for a possible arm and, you know, I listen to local radio here in San Francisco and they're throwing out, you know, Kyle Harrison for Matt McLean ideas. I don't it, I don't even know if that's uh, that's in the realm of the possible. What I'm just saying is if you are in a dynasty league or you're drafting super early and you're looking at McLean, there's a small amount of risk that he's not a red next year. I don't know. I think I do know that he has way more trade value than Jonathan India. So. Um, you know, depending on what they're trying to get back in Cincinnati, uh, you know, they're they're going to be they're going to have a lot of options. Yeah, well, that would uh, that's a type of trade that would favor both teams. Although I, I would think I'd rather have the Harrison end of that, but that's interesting. <laughs> well, I you know, like you were pointing out, and as you allude to the fact that I, I did write a piece on Steer and McLean, and so I kind of broke down the the potential you know holes. Uh, in McLean's offensive game and the the real risk for for regression and that that risk just gets magnified if he leaves Cincinnati and goes almost anywhere else and San, if he goes to San Francisco that's really that really could. I have a real hope though that he can cut the strikeout rate. I know in Double A Matt McLean had a twenty eight percent strikeout rate, but he had a and that that's the big sample and the small samples around it have the twenty percent for for Matt McLean, but. It, and then 28 and a half in the, in the major leagues, but a 10.5% swing strike rate and a 28% O swing does not produce a 7.7% walk rate and 28.5% strikeout rate for me. There's something, 
Mm-hmm. There's something that can improve there. I don't know what it is. Maybe be a little bit more aggressive or be more patient. But there's a guy who had you know twice the walk rate in the minor leagues and does and 10.5 percent swinging strike rate is league average. So yeah. there's something's missing if he's swinging and missing at league average rate, but striking out at in a much much higher rate. So there are ways he can improve as well. Okay, well that's uh, yeah that's absolutely fair. Uh, Let's uh, talk about another player whose season is done, Luis Robert Jr. Uh, He has gone on the IL with a left MCL sprain. It is reportedly a mild sprain, but with just a few days left in the season, the White Sox obviously not going to the postseason. That is it for Robert this year, a 264 average um, and uh, just a, a, a really kind of explosive breakthrough for him. Uh, he finished ninth among outfielders in roto value and uh, 20 steals, a lot of run production. Where uh, where do you see him? Do you think he's a, a top 10 outfielder again next year or, or do you see regression for Robert? Well, four or five years from now, I care more about his strikeout rate and his reach rate. But in the short term, it's just about your taste for injury risk. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Yeah. He's excellent when he's out there, and he ended the season injured. I wonder how much that'll be in people's minds. There's a possibility where the fact that he ends the season injured is something that people remember when they draft, and then they they don't push him into, what, I think the second round where he belongs? Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm getting him in the third round, if I was able to get a, a hitter I think will stay healthy all year and then get a pitcher and then get Robert, like – yeah, I'll do that. I'll take the injury risk. If I have to take him second and push my pitcher into the third, you know, maybe I will do it too, but uh, I better have a nice, healthy first guy. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important strategy. And maybe uh, one with a great batting average because, you know, there's some <laughs> up and down risk on on his batting average too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, well, just one other player I want to talk about, Eno, uh, before we again, blow this out into a, a bigger perspective. I just uh, thought it was interesting news that Chris Paddock made it back this season, uh, pitched a couple of innings in relief against the A's on Tuesday. Uh, Paddock, of course, had his second Tommy John surgery last year. He tossed 40 pitches, got seven whiffs and eight called strikes. So that's, you know, that's really impressive. Also was throwing a couple ticks higher than he was. And granted, it was a two-inning appearance, but a 95.7 average, uh, 95.7 miles per hour uh, average fastball velocity. Also zero grounders, which again, that's, you know, small sample fun, but kind of a wild stat there. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad to see him healthy. Uh, it, you know, I think, I wonder how long he was dealing with that pain. Um you know, yeah. these are, you know, very small sample, but uh, the stuff numbers line up with what you saw in terms of Velo. And, um, you know, he one nice thing, too, is he had his changeup back. Uh, all this work that he'd put in on his slider and his cutter and his curveball, um, he was a fastball change guy at heart. And when you come back from Tommy John, they don't let you throw all those breaking balls at first. And I just talked to Keaton Wynn, the guy, uh, the, the Giants guy who throws 60% splitters. And he said that before he had Tommy John, he didn't even throw a splitter. But he was so bored during Tommy John 
they said, you know, during the recovery, they said, you can't throw your breaking balls. And he said, well, can I throw my splitter? And they said, yes. And so he threw the splitter over and over again. And now he throws a splitter 60% of the time. So Chris Paddock was allowed to throw his changeup. He got his changeup back. He had a 124 stuff plus on the fastball, 125 stuff plus on the changeup. That's his foundation. The 100, 111 on the slider, that works, you know, and, you know, he would be a great reliever for them in the postseason. I think that'll be where he ends up. When it comes to projecting that out for next year, I'm going to be interested. Um, I think they will probably stretch him out and put him in the rotation, but I, you know, I want to know something about what their plans are for him. But nice to see him back, reliever for the rest of the way, and uh, definitely somebody to put on your sleeper list for, for next season. Yeah. You know, he's interesting because he did have more success being basically a two pitch pitcher than like you said, when he expanded the arsenal, but so many variables are, like you said, maybe he was in pain for a while and that was more the issue than necessarily which pitches he was throwing. But uh, yeah, good, good to see him back. Absolutely. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, well, let's uh, take a look back at 2023. I realize we're not completely done yet, but, uh, you know, we're with just a few games left. I think we could take a look at some of the the big changes in the landscape and how that translated into uh, stats for fantasy. And um, so a few things that, that we need to look at. Did um, having... Uh, legislation of of shifts ma- make a difference. Did that matter? Uh, the stolen base rules. What it, you know? How much exactly did that affect things? Obviously, it did did affect some. And unrelated to the rules, all the prospects. You know, so many so many prospects uh, debuting this year just made it a really really unique season. But I took a look at BABIP trends since 2020. So not a really big uh, time time horizon here, but I think it proves the point. Overall, BABIP. Uh, in 2020, 292, it was the same in 2021. It was 290, so almost the same in 2022. This year, the major league-wide BABIP as of right now is 297. And if that doesn't seem like a big change, consider that on pole balls, uh, the trend for those four years goes 275, 282, 283, and then this year, 292. So might not be completely... Uh, Mind-blowing, but I, I think it's a it's a difference that made a, a, enough of a difference, if that makes sense. Yeah, there were shift limits, not a shift ban. I mean, that's one thing that people used uh, colloquially. You just say it was a shift ban, but you were still allowed to shift. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think a lot of those micro shifts where you've got really detailed game plans, guy walks three steps this way, two steps that way. Uh, that's a symptom of modern baseball. And there's 
almost no way to legislate that out. So, you know, this was a return to like five, six years ago, not a return to 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was, I think, somewhat welcome in the batting average department. Uh, there are some secondary effects. Uh, what I was talking about earlier in terms of league-wide uh, trends, are were people pulling the ball more on the ground because uh, of that shift restriction? Yes, they were. Uh, last season, this this la- this season that we're in, uh, is the second highest rate of pulled ground balls in the Statcast era, um, wow. and first is 2020. So, you know, I don't know, you know how how meaningful that is. It's more like a two month split than anything, but uh, uh, could be the highest uh, uh, rate of pulled ground balls. And so, um, you know, are we going to see more Joey Gallows? I don't know. You know, it, it does run uh, up against what teams know is a positive trend in the postseason, which is that uh, teams that make more contact in the postseason win more, uh, even more than they do in, in the regular season. So uh, there's some tension in team building with, you know, what should we do for the regular season and how much of an eye should we keep on the postseason? Obviously, being too much of either thing can be uh, an issue. I think the Guardians show you uh, if you are too in on contact uh, without looking at power, that's uh, you know not really a good outcome. Um, and I think, uh, honestly, as good as the Twins are, they show you a little bit of the risk of being um, a uh, launch angle pull uh, team. They strike out more than teams. They are streakier and they can be pitched to. So... Um, those teams are maybe in, in the same division and, uh, and close to polar opposites. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting contrast there. And I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of fantasy relevant, uh, you know, something that's actionable to offer here. Uh, yeah, I think it's just an interesting trend. And like you say, you know, does it mean that we'll see more Joey Gallows? That would not necessarily be a good thing because the real Joey Gallo offered very little uh, value this year. So, yeah, um, and like I mean, you know, we all uh, pointed to Kyle Schwarber as you know benefiting uh, uh, from these rules, and he ended up the 18th best um, uh, outfielder by uh, by the auction calculator. But he did it the same way he's always done it. You know, he had a 190 average and uh, was painful to own in a lot of leagues. Um, so I'm raising know, my hand. <laughs> yeah, I don't really. I I saw that, you know, Kyle Tucker and Cody Ballinger were on uh, my preseason list as as players that would benefit uh, from the the shift restrictions. They ended up uh, having good seasons, but I also had Rowdy Telez as uh, someone that would benefit from the uh, shift restrictions. Juan Soto was on that list. That was good. Uh, but there were other, it's not like everybody, um, just benefited across the board. All the left-handers who pulled the ball a lot, uh, just benefited, uh, from the, the shift restrictions uniformly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's the big takeaway there. Uh, stolen bases, uh, you know, I'll certainly be, I think going in, with a, a different approach next year as, as opposed to this, because I, I had no idea it was going to affect it this much. Um, basically with still a weekend left, a weekend's worth left of games, 
There's been an approximately 40% increase year to year in stolen bases. 2,486 last season. So far this season, 3,416 and counting. And there were 24 players with at least 20 stolen bases a year ago. Right now, that number is at 49 players and counting because there are four more sitting at 19, one sitting at 18. So, you know, that number could be 54, maybe, yeah, 53, 54 uh, by the time the season's done. Yeah, and uh, I was off on, on some predictions there. I thought that some of the more interesting decisions would be the go, no-go line. So uh, guys who had iffy speed uh, going more often. Maybe maybe there's some evidence that's true. I mean, Freddie Freeman having 23 steals. He's not the fastest guy in the world. Uh, Tyra Estrada at 23 steals uh, is somewhat interesting. Um but uh, we definitely saw some players go for it harder than I expected. I did not necessarily expect to see a 70 stolen base uh, season and did not expect it from Acuna Jr. Uh, a year out from uh, surgery. But then also having Nico Horner, C.J. Abrams, Bobby Wood Jr., and Corbin Carroll all steal more than 40. Julio Rodriguez at 37. Kim Haseon Kim at 36. Did not quite see that. And then some of the... The guys I expected to 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 steal ten to fifteen, uh, they were they're they're there. Uh, I thought Gleyber Torres Gleyber Torres would get to close to fifteen. He got thirteen. Um, I thought Willie Adamas uh, might get ten. How many did he get? Well, and also he just was he just far less productive this season, season than he had. Five. I think a lot of us expected. Yeah, it yeah. just it's kind of it's kind of hard to. I mean, it's hard to project anybody you know and then you're trying to project them with the rules changes and then maybe then like willie adamas just had a bad season that had nothing to do with the rule changes you know right (laughs) maybe he just his you know his uh maybe his his athleticism was down or you know maybe he was hurt or you know maybe he just wasn't seeing the ball right so um but there wasn't necessarily an explosion of 10 to 15s uh a lot of the guys i see here in the 10 to 15 i'm like yeah sure I don't really uh, see anyone that surprises me here. Um, you know, what, Brian Reynolds with 12 or Paul Goldschmidt with 11. That doesn't surprise me. I don't know. There's no, there's, the, the biggest surprises were in the places that I didn't expect them, which is just people just really going for it and going for that 50, 60, 70 level. Yeah, no, that was something I definitely didn't foresee and, and missed out on. And, and I think in a way then it, uh, it, the field is not equalized in the way I thought it would be. Yeah. That you, you, so it's, there's still a premium to be paid for some teams, you know, what are now 40, 50 steel. Yeah. And some contenders. teams like really, you know, decided to push it and some teams uh, didn't as much. And so, yeah, I think that going forward, I'm going to, I, I may have my more traditional, um, you know, grab steals as I can uh, foundation, but um I may want to get a 30 plus uh, candidate, you know, so I don't know where that starts, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Acuna, Carroll, Witt, Abrams, Horner, Rodriguez, Kim, Stott, Lindor, Jimenez, Trey Turner, Kyle Tucker. I may want to have one of those on my teams next year. And a name that I don't think I heard you say was Astori Ruiz. That's right, because I have the qualified filter on, which is something I have to stop doing. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a tricky thing. Yeah, when you're uh, sorting for steals, but I what thought if, that might have been intentional. Well, because... I'm going to stay away from Jorge Mateo. So the yeah. the expanded list includes Jorge Mateo, Willie Castro, Ellie De La Cruz is out there. I'm not necessarily going to stay away from him, but Nico Horner, Astori Ruiz, Jorge Mateo, um, you know, Jake McCarthy, Bryce Terang. Uh, these are guys that got close to 30 steals or got 30 steals and didn't get 10 homers. And I just, I don't, I don't like those players. I just feel like those players have one foot out of a starting role. We saw Jake McCarthy yeah. lose his role. Bryce yeah. Turang could totally lose his role next year. Jorge Mateo could just be a backup next year. He was at he times was for a year. big part of this year. Yeah. Willie Castro was a backup. Nico Horner, I like, and it does come with a good batting average. But um, Ruiz is going to go through this season with with fewer than two wins. He's not going to be a league average player this year. Uh, and it's just not the kind of line that I like. It's better than Jorge Mateo because he makes more contact. Mm-hmm. But it reminds me of Jorge Mateo in a way. Like, you know, plus defense, plus speed, lots of other questions. Yeah. And I, I think for me, a, a takeaway, and you can tell me if you, you agree or disagree with this, but um, I think the days of targeting a Tommy Edmond uh, or a Jake McCarthy, uh, which I saw people doing this year, or uh, a Mateo, a, a G1 Bay, um, for 20 to 30 steals, I, th- I feel like that's over um, because a, there's so much There's other people potential. who can't do I mean, there's so many people, yeah. even in that 20 to 25 range, that did hit homers, you know, like... Why not Anthony Volpe instead of G1 Bay? You know, <laughs> is the is the cost going to be that much different? You know, Volpe has his own concerns, but at least he hits for power and is going to play shortstop for the Yankees next year. We don't mm-hmm. know where G1 Bay is going to play next year, so yeah, I'd be very careful. You know, if it came with elite defense, that's where it doesn't with Ruiz. You know, it doesn't come with elite defense with Ruiz. With Nico Horner, it does. So at least with Nico Horner, I'm like, well, the defense will keep him in the lineup. The batting average will keep his his auction like his production above zero, and his uh, steals will help my lineup. You know that's that's the line for me is between Nico Horner and Astori Reese is like, you know, does he fill check these other boxes? Yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely some changes, not the ones I, I necessarily anticipated. Uh, how about so. how about Jared Duran? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, he's kind of a different case altogether because he's just, you know, a, a post-type prospect that I I didn't see bouncing back the way that he did. Yeah. And on the other hand, it uh, looks like he's never going to play center again. Or I, I, don't, I mean, I think he's that seems like it's over. So mm-hmm. elite defense is not going to keep him in the lineup. The power, it might be enough power, but... Uh, it's a, it, there's a question mark there. I might, I might like some Durans on my team, actually. Um, yeah. Well, there's the, <clears throat> the batting average won't be 295 again, but, you <laughs> yeah. know, 180 ISO, you know, with 24 steals. I could get with yeah. that. Yeah. Another power speed. I mean, that, that, that is not going to go out of style. That's, you know, that's why I differentiate between him and, you know, say a Tommy Edmond. Right. Um, so no, definitely would be interested. We just have to see what the role looks like it's going to be next spring. Uh, so, well, I, I want to, um, get back to the, the prospects, uh, the never ending prospect Palooza of this season, which again was something even, you know, with the changes, uh, to the CBA, I, I did not foresee 
literally every week, you know, having compelling prospects being available uh, on waivers, getting getting the call. And yet I found some some rankings that I found pretty interesting. So I looked at the top hitters and the top pitchers in terms of uh, F4. And I understand that doesn't necessarily track with with fantasy value, but I think it speaks to a little bit because it's also in terms of how valuable is the player to the team and therefore uh-huh. uh, the security of their role going into 2024. Uh, but we'll look at WRC plus in a minute, but top five hitters in terms of F4 for, for this year among those who made their debut. You know, prospects who got called up made their their MLB debut. I'm going to leave number one blank for now. Let's see if you can guess it. Number two was Patrick Bailey. Hmm. Number three was Zach Geloff. Number four was uh, Edward Julian, and number five was Jose Caballero. So, not exactly a, a star-studded top of the leaderboard there. These are people who made their debuts this year. Correct. So it's not Gunnar Henderson. It's not Corbin Carroll. Uh, yeah, because I was like, I've got that open, dude. It's Corbin Carroll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, I had to be careful and kind of cherry pick some guys out of that. Like, oh, no, no. They they did play last year. Um, Josh oh, Young. Oh, uh, so now I have to think who played last year. But it, I mean, I, yeah, I wanted to look at that list because, again, you know, from week to is week. It Matt it was, oh, who's coming up? And yes, number one was Matt McClain. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> there he is again. So uh, of all the prospects, did Nolan Jones play last year? Maybe a little bit. He did play last year. Yeah. Yeah. Because he ranks high among rookies. Yeah. If you're just looking at rookies, it's a, it's a pretty different leaderboard, but Christian and Carnacion strand way down there. Um, I'm trying to think of some others that were widely, highly anticipated that didn't rank very high. There were a few and Carnacion strand stands out for me. If you, if you chased rookies this year, um, you know, with fab money and stuff, I think you did pretty well. Uh, what were the what were the biggest uh, like? I I did bring up Anthony Volpe. Like, let me see what his auction value was in fifteen teamers. Anthony Volpe was five dollars. So if you chased him yeah. with a big fab acquisition, you didn't lose. But that's the 26th best shortstop. Is that okay? I was gonna say, is that 12 or 15? So it sounds like you've got it set for 15. Yeah, yeah, because I I spent a dollar on Volpe in a 12 teamer and then cut him a few weeks into the season. And I bought Volpe uh post cut after somebody uh had spent more on him than I did. Um, so there's some of that. Uh, on the pitching side, well, you know, before we get to the pitchers, I just want to talk about WRC plus because the leaders. And that among those who debuted this year were Julian and Geloff. And again, mm. not not the ones you necessarily would have predicted. Yeah, and interesting that both of those guys are all fields hitters. Um, I had a note in my uh, I had a note in my in, in my notes column today about Geloff that could lead to some research. I don't know exactly how to formulate the research yet, but Geloff does not have an outstanding. Uh, he has a he has he has a poor max EV, and uh, among rookies, his his max EV was in the bottom five or so, one hundred eight five. It's it's bad. Yeah. Um and he has an okay hard hit rate. Among rookies, his hard hit rate was half median, like just in the median. Um, barrel rate though, he's in the top third, and. You know, I talked to him about it and he was like, well, you know, I feel like I could, 
hit the ball 110 or 111. But when I swing like that, I feel out of control. And so what I'm trying to do is hit the ball 106 a lot. You know, Hmm. I'm trying to get hundreds, 102, 106. If I do that a lot, I'm going to do well. And there are going to be hits and there are going to be line drives and there are going to be doubles and there'll be some homers. But uh, if I go for the 111s and 112s, um, you know, I don't know what those will be and I'll feel out of control. So it speaks a little bit to the disagreement, I think, in analytics circles about the value of of max EV and, and 85th percentile EV or 90th percentile EV. <clears throat> People have done like straight correlations and said there's no correlation. However, I do think it describes uh, raw power. It describes uh, the potential uh, for a hitter. Um, and so it's more, it's one of those things, uh, almost like stuff plus it's more important in small samples, more important with younger players. You know, if you've been a major league player that has hit 25 homers a year for, you know, four years, do I care about your max EV anymore? You know what right. I mean? I don't, yeah, no, I don't they've know. proven themselves. But Zach Gelov, on the other hand, is a guy who's still in that, like, I don't know what he is, you know? So you'll look at his barrel rate and you'll look at his max EV and you'll look at his hard hit rate and be like, man, what is his ISO going to be? And you have ATC over here, rest of season ISO 114, and you get the bat X or the bat saying 198. I think that's a pretty big spread. So whoever's yeah. drafting Zach Gelov next year, you're either going to get a guy with 10 homers or you're going to get a guy with like 22. Yeah, and I, I have a sense that people may pay a little too much next year. It's possible. The, I mean, the, the 27% strikeout rate, you know, he in the minors, he had, you know, in double A, he had a 167 ISO. So it's not, it's not a fait accompli that he actually has the power he's shown in 282 plate appearances this year. So Geloff is yeah. going to be a very interesting name for me next year. Yeah, very. I'm sure we'll be talking and writing a lot about him uh, a few months from now, if not before. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. 
Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Uh, so yeah, let's let's go to the pitchers and um, I I did the same leaderboard F4 for uh, pitchers who made their debut this year. So number one is Kodai Senga, um, which again, you may or may not want to include him. Uh, so if we just look at, um, you know, people who have not pitched professionally uh, elsewhere, Tanner Bybee, Bobby Miller, Andrew Abbott, Bryce Miller, Grayson Rodriguez, that would, that would be your top five. I think you did well if you chased uh, rookie pitchers. I mean, uh, we drafted Grayson Rodriguez in the, our main event, um, and uh, shout out to my my co-owner there. Um, we uh, thanks for battling with me, JH. We made it uh, uh, into the sort of out of the basement. We were like last at some point, and we'll end up anywhere from uh, fourth to sixth. A uh, lot of hard work. We dropped Grayson Rodriguez and everybody else got, uh, somebody else got his excellent end of season. Um, but uh, if you if you set the sort of standard as useful uh, at some point in the season, most of these guys that debuted this, this, this season were useful at some point. Now, if you set the, the list at like, you know, useful all season, uh, then you could have gotten stuck with some bad starts uh, from Taj Bradley. Um, you know, uh, JP France uh, was pretty up and down. Uh, Brandon Fott uh, was bad at the beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some some landmines that were there. Um, others, if you were at all cautious, uh, like Jesse Schultons or, you know, any of that, you know, into those kind of, low stuff pitchers um i think you you can avoid uh a lot of the pitches that weren't that good yeah no i agree i mean it's i think more so with pitchers than hitters that if you were chasing call-ups with with fab that um you you had a pretty i think a pretty high probability of of hitting uh whereas with hitters it, it seemed like a little bit more hit or miss and the maybe some of the more unheralded ones being a little bit more productive, but it was, it just made for a really fun season. Yeah. McLean, you know, we, we got him on our, on our main event team and, um, uh, he was, uh, not our most expensive acquisition. In fact, I don't think we, we spent that much to get him. Um, so, you know, that, that ended up being a good one. What were the, what were the big, what were the Fabapalooza names this year on the hitting side? Uh, like I Ellie. said, Encarnacion Strand, although it was you know, late, it seemed like we waited forever. Yeah, for I mean, him. Ellie was the big one. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't think too many people are complaining about it. It's a little bit like Volpe. Volpe was a big one. You know, Volpe and Ellie, like, yeah, it wasn't great. And maybe the shallower your league is, the more angry you are. But like 15 teamers getting, you know, 24 homer, 20 homers and 24 steals from Volpe or 13 homers and 35 steals from Ellie De La Cruz aren't whining too much about the batting average. I don't think so. Yeah. Jordan Westberg was another name where I was thinking of somebody who came up and uh, we waited a long time. He didn't really play as much as I thought maybe he would. Jordan Walker. That uh, was, 
Well, he he got drafted, didn't he? Or was he? Yeah, yeah, yeah because he, he was. If my memory is right. He was on the opening day roster. Yeah, but still qualifies as somebody who there who was more Fabulous on the pitching side, wasn't there? Like, like I think of, there was. Like, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah we I think our biggest right. uh, in-season acquisition was Todd Bradley, which uh, unfortunately was one of the pitchers that didn't work out so well. But yeah, it's it's funny how you know my memory was that it was more maybe more even between the, the hitters and the pitchers. But. The shape of the season is also interesting because um, you know Andrew Abbott. Uh, looked amazing to begin with. Um, And I had a note in my column about how I talked to Andrew Abbott about, you know, his stuff. And I was like, why, why do you get middle, middle takes? You know, and I was like, I even said stuff like to him, like your stuff isn't jiffable. And like, um, you know, (laughs) like, you know, how, how do you, have you had all these strikeouts? And he, he wasn't necessarily, he wasn't really upset with my line of reasoning. He sort of got it. He's like, "I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, uh, I've just always gotten middle middle takes. He's like third in the league in middle middle takes uh, this year, and on the fastball. And I was like, "You you got a lot of f- fly balls." And he's like, "Yeah, always gotten fly balls." And you know, I guess it's led to some homers, but you might expect more homers um, given his park that he plays in. But I will say that a four seven nine ERA in the second half, uh, you know has made me feel like, you know, I'm, I wasn't too far off on my concerns with him. Um, and I don't necessarily, yeah. I, I think he may get overdrafted by people who didn't have him, you know, uh, looking at the full season numbers and, and loving them and then underdrafted yeah. by the people who did have him who remember how it ended. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's probably true. Maybe there's a, a broader lesson in there. So. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't hate well, people too hard. Like if you had Taj Bradley, I'm trying not to, to hate Taj Bradley that hard next year. He still has an excellent fastball on yeah. the Rays. Good pitchers park. You know, there's the strikeout minus walk, right? There's, there's good stuff there. And I'm not going to hate him for what he did to my main event team. <laughs> that's i think that's very admirable <laughs> well you know we're we're not going to go through the, the entire list but uh maybe just a little food for thought here i did in our rundown put some uh short list for pitchers who saw their ERA, eras rise uh higher than certainly most pitchers this year and then those who improved the most so anybody on either list who you think is worthy of uh, a special mention caution slash uh i don't know uh maybe a potential bargain next year anything along i mean dylan cease for me is a potential bargain next year if he falls into sp2 territory uh he still has that stuff he was on that list of of september stuff guys the stuff hasn't changed really there's some some small nitpicky type stuff that you could get with it's just i think mostly just the command you know the command makes him a risk every year but it's it's only a certain amount of risk. And so you know, once you start getting to SP twos, you're starting to draft pitchers that have some sort of risk, injury risk, this risk, this rat, that risk. Then I get really comfortable with him. Christian Javier, on the other hand, there was an obvious change in stuff. The fastball uh, lost uh, some of its shape and velo and he's a two pitch guy. So, um, you know, that makes me nervous all the time. Um, and so uh, Christian Javier, is sort of more on my on my don't draft list. Michael Kopech, uh, bad knee, uh, had surgery on it to end the season. It just seems to be an ongoing thing. They're already talking about putting him in the bullpen. 
I, I don't know how long I'm going to sort of chase an underachiever. You know, I, I, I try not to put people on do not draft lists, you know, but he's closer to that than not. And then Sandy Alcantara, depending on uh, injury outcomes, is interesting to me. But you have to admit that he, you put him on a fairly high injury risk for next year, you know, because he's got a tear. You know, a sprain is a terror. So he's got a tear and he's going to be throw- and throwing through it. And it's you think someone who throws hard like he does is going to just basically tear it eventually. You um, Darvish is somebody that I will draft. You Darvish is somebody I'll draft. I don't find his injury as concerning, uh, the particulars of his injury. And I think that he uh, underproduced his peripherals. And uh, I think he's still got something to give. And I think now you're drafting him like an SP4 or something. So uh, I think that there's going to be some value there. Yeah. Uh, I took a look at him at a column fairly recently, and, and I think I came to, to pretty much the same same conclusion. So I, I imagined he will come pretty inexpensively next year. So yeah, certainly be, be tucking his name away. So I put it in the rundown, very last thing, you know, final thoughts just seem like it'd be a good idea to wrap up our uh, Friday rates and barrels for 2023 with some kind of overarching theme. And I had something in mind to say, and I have completely forgotten what it was. So <laughs> I probably won't have anything very profound to, uh, to wind up my contribution for the year here, but it wasn't uh, my best season. Um, I'm, I'm going to have a couple wins. Um, AL Labor, I was uh, top three for a while. I may end up uh, third or fourth. Uh, main event will probably end up around fifth or sixth. It's not my uh, not my best season. I'm proud of some of the uh, in-season uh, struggle that I put up. Um, and uh, so I'm going to take that as a positive. Um, I'm going to use as an excuse the, the changes in the rules. Uh, I think that was hard to model uh, going in. Um, uh, I did notice that if you look at, uh, guys who pull the ball and hit it hard. And so, uh, you set like a threshold of a 40% hard hit and, uh, and look at the highest pullers. Those guys did have really good BABIPs. Uh, those guys are Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, Tristan Casas, Shohei Otani, Rafael Devers, Corey Seager, um, and, uh, and, uh, so that list is good. However, you got guys who are right close in Kyle Tucker, you got close guys who are right there, 39% hard hit and pulling Kyle Schwarber and Max Muncie, uh, who still had a 211 and 225 Babbitt respectively. So, uh, we're going to, we're going to have at least a, a season's worth of, of data to chew, but we're still going to, you know, have that issue. Of maybe that guy just had a bad season. I had nothing to do with the, the new rules. So, um, you know, it's going to be difficult, but at least we'll, I think we'll have fewer rule changes in this upcoming season. Um, hope to tweak uh, stuff plus a little bit in the off season, do some uh, weather adjusting, platoon adjusting, uh, make it a little bit better. And, uh, you know, make that, uh, make those projections better. Maybe start aging different pitches differently. If you think about Christian Javier, what if you aged his fastball going into the season and took uh, a mile per hour off it and said, what would the stuff be if you took a mile per hour off this pitch? Uh, maybe we could have seen that coming from Javier. Um, and I'm definitely going to include some analysis of how many pitches the pitchers throw a pitcher throw, a starting pitcher throws as part of my analysis for how to sort of translate stuff into results for starting pitchers. Cause 
that seems to matter. So those are the things I've learned this year. Um, and uh, I hope that you guys learned along with us and that uh, your teams did well. It was really nice to get some DMs about, you know, championships and uh, wins that they uh, that they, they thought had something, a little something to do with rates and barrels in my analysis. So that kind of stuff always makes me feel better about my teams. And so I welcome <laughs> it anytime. Uh, and I look forward to seeing anybody who's coming to uh, the Arizona Fall League. Uh, see you there in about uh, a month. And... Uh, We'll be back on air uh, around that time, uh, you know, closer to the Arizona Fall League as we start up the process for next season. Uh, but the sincere thanks for everybody and for you for, for helping uh, with the podcast this year uh, and for the listeners for listening. Yeah, well, certainly, Mike, my thanks go out to everybody who has listened. And uh, like, like you know, uh, I, I hope that you found this helpful. And yeah, it, uh, it's always... Uh, such a great thing at this time of year when people let us know how their their teams did and uh that's we're, we're very very grateful and appreciative of of that also just a, a programming note slash discussion you know i think we're back for one last show on monday um hmm. so keep, stay stay tuned because i think we're back for for one more episode so this this is definitely it for the friday show i'm finding Maybe out live month- <laughs> what the- <laughs> No, we'll we, I, no problem. We can always we can always do another show, but um, you know, as the playoffs go, I've always found it difficult to to kind of do a show, um, yeah. because you know the people who are still paying attention to baseball are usually paying attention to real baseball. Uh, I did I did get a note about a a, a type of fantasy um, you can play in the postseason. So if we do have a show, maybe we'll talk about a fantasy game you can play in the postseason. Maybe set something up. So. Oh, those that's, uh, that's always that's fun. On the so, table. so yeah, keep your your eyes and ears open for that. Keep your eyes and ears open uh, as to whether or not we do have one more episode of Rates and Barrels for this season. But uh, definitely winding down to a close. So again, thanks to everybody uh, for listening. And yeah, Eno, thank you. It's been uh, such a, a pleasure uh, working with you on the show this year. And of course, with DVR, uh, I don't know if you hear us out there, DVR, but uh, it's been been awesome working with you and looking we forward miss to. You. Uh, doing that again in the future so uh anyways that's a wrap then that's a wrap for uh rates and barrels friday shows uh 2023 so thank you all again and uh and uh, well, I'm, I'm very quick here to try to wrap this up but i do want to remind everybody that we do still have the one dollar uh deal that you should check out uh for the athletic it includes all of eno's work everything in fantasy everything on the site uh one dollar a month uh every month for the first year just go to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. So on that note, thanks again, everybody. Best of luck to you. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.